Patty. I love it when Patty does the scripture. It's so beautiful and heartfelt. Today I want to share a story from our family. It's part of our legacy of faith. If you were sitting on the couch with me, you know how we do, we, we sit on the couch together and we show each other what's on the phones, right? Here's what I did this summer. Here's this beautiful cloud or beautiful mountain. And if you were sitting on the couch with me in the summer of 2012, I would have been sharing some of these pictures. This is my son, Nathan. We had such a great summer, summer 2012. It was one of my favorites. Here he is at summer camp at Cahutta Springs in Georgia. Nathan had decided after he finished eighth grade that he was gonna be a scholar and an athlete. And he was already being an athlete. In eighth grade, he got the MVP for soccer and some really neat um, soccer shoes. So here he is playing basketball. <laughs> Just seeing if Jeff's listening. Here he is playing football at the camp. And um, we got to go to the beach at North Carolina. We used to go every year for a week to the Outer Banks, and we got to go this time to Kitty Hawk. And you can see little Aaron and little Ariel, my mom in there. It was a great time at the beach in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which I had always wanted to go to. We had a fantastic time. If you've been, it's like a small city. It's so big. And this picture up here, it looks like Gable and Nathan are not having that fun of a time, but they did. They loved it. We were just so tired, and we were ready to eat lunch by that time, and they didn't know they were in the picture. But it was a great day at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And then closer to home, New Smyrna Beach, we were doing a lot of swimming, and uh, Nathan's doing some, um, what is that called? Surfing there with a surfboard at the shark capital of the world. We had a great time at SeaWorld. Um, it was just a great summer. So many things that we did and enjoyed. I remember I was just about to start my job at Avent Health University as a professor of religion. So excited, teaching a class on Jesus and on grief. Those were my main classes. And as I was getting ready and preparing, Jeff said to me, why don't you stay home and get ready for class. I know that this is a big thing for you, and I'll take the kids to his sister's house on the lake, and um, you'll have some time alone. And I'm like, I want to go, and, but he said, I think it'd be good, and I thought it'd be good. I, I don't think I had been in the house alone. This is not exaggeration. Overnight, for probably 20 years, I don't know, maybe 18 at the time, so seriously. And so I thought, I'll just focus in. And then he said, and would you also preach that Sabbath because I forgot to ask someone? <laughs> All right, will I be preparing for class or will I be preparing for a sermon? And um, I remember I had done quite a bit of speaking that time, and there were all these stacks, well, stacks from when I was teaching at the grade school, stack of when I had spoken here. And I thought, oh, man, I really want to get to those. But God keep, kept saying, do your sermon first. 
to your sermon. And I remember I was working on my sermon. It was a series in Psalms. I was doing a Psalm 120. And I would get up and I would see things and he would just say, focus on your sermon right now. And so that's what I did while they went skiing. And this is what I preached on Psalm 120. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attuned to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who would stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Next one. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. Israel, put your hope in God. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption, and he himself will redeem Israel from their sins. And this was such an important thing. I called my, to me personally, I remember going in the car to preach, and at that time there were four services that Jeff preached at. There were four. So I was getting ready for the first one in the car, and I was feeling unworthy, and I remembered, if you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sin, who would stand? And I thought, his goodness to me and the fact that he wants to speak through me is not predicated on my goodness. It's predicated on his. And I felt, okay, I can do this. It's his mercy. And I called the sermon, Waiting in Hope. And the idea is waiting in hope when you don't know what the outcome will be. And I had no idea what an important sermon this would be for me and my family and for our church family. So they were back. I was getting ready for school and um, getting haircuts. This is the night before first grade. Little Ariel could not go to sleep because it's so exciting to be in first grade and not be preschool or pre-K, but finally she went to sleep. And so if you were sitting on the couch and I was flipping through my pictures for summer 2012, that would be the last picture you would see before this one. And if that is a little bit visually disrupted to you, can you imagine what it was like to experience it? This is my son, Nathan. And on, uh, when he was 14, 2012, on the night of, um, it was Tuesday night, it was before the beginning of school for the students at FLA. They'd had a half day, and then he had come home and he said, Mom, he said, don't save supper, or he said, save a little supper for me, and um, maybe get me some Gatorade or something. I, I picked up some vitamin water, and he said, because tonight I'm trying out for varsity basketball. And so we did that, and he came back. It was kind of late. I was already in bed, and he stood by the foot of my bed, and he said, Mom, I know I made JV, and I think I may have made varsity. He was so excited. Um, he said, I don't think I want any supper. Can I go get another you know, Gatorade, vitamin water? Sure. And as he stood there, so tall and handsome, and I said, honey, I said, you look so good. Your cheeks are all ready from running back and forth for the basketball game. And I found out they had played a whole game, and then they had done suicide runs back and forth, back and forth, two hours, full out. 
And I said, um, I can tell you've been exercising and uh, you're so tan from being, you know, skiing. And I said, I'm so proud of you. You're making such good decisions. And I know we we're just talking about, and you look so healthy. Well, he got a drink, he went to bed. And about three o'clock that morning, I woke up. And I woke up to pray for somebody. And sometimes God would wake me up and got up, went to the restroom, and I just prayed. And at four o'clock that morning, Gable came in and he said, Mom, Nathan's not breathing right. And there was something in his voice that I jumped up without my glasses, which I'm almost legally blind. I don't go anywhere, even at night, without them. And I ran to Nathan's room. And he was, in what I later learned, was agonal breathing. It was ragged, <laughs> horrible sound, and then nothing. And I put my cheek down by his mouth, and I could feel no breath. And I thought, I, I don't think he's breathing at all. And I went to flip the light on, and I checked for his pulse, and I thought, I must not be very good at this. I can't find a pulse. And I ran and got Jeff, and I said, Nathan's not right. And he got up out of bed, and he ran in the room, and my chemical engineer turned pastor husband started doing chest compressions while I ran and called 911. There's something wrong with my son. Please come right away. Gave him the address, ran to get dressed, and then stood outside because I could tell that time was of the essence, and my son might not make it. I had stopped by the room on the way there. There had been no change. And I stood outside and started texting. And I texted the prayer group that I had. I texted people that I knew were persons of faith. I texted Jeff's parents. I texted my parents. I texted our family. And I waited. I'd been to, um, I'd been to the emergency room a lot. Not with Gable, not with Nathan, not with Ariel, but with Aaron, my youngest son. So I knew how to go. You take a snack, you take something warm because it's cold. Aaron had gotten um, a fish hook in his ear, a fish hook in his finger. There was the time that, did I swallow a battery or not? I can't remember. There was the time that he swallowed magnets, two magnets. So I knew how to go and I was prepared and I was praying, dear Jesus, please, please, please save Nathan's life. Please don't let Nathan and that was my prayer as the first ambulance pulled up and the second ambulance. And before I had gone out, I had moved furniture. I had moved the couch. I had moved stuff so that they would have room to come in. And what I did was stand in the room because I thought I'm his mom. If there's any information that I can give, I'm here to give it. And in a situation like that, I go completely cerebral. Like emotions are for later. What can I do? And I stood there, and then they said, um, okay, we're fine, why don't you get ready? And what I didn't know is they took Nathan off the bed and they shocked his heart. And it didn't start. And they shocked it again. And it didn't come into a normal rhythm. And I've seen the strips from that time, 
and they are, it's called torsades. Like here's the line, and you've seen enough television to know what a healthy heartbeat looks like. This was like, just wandering. And you would look at those strips and you would think, I don't think this person made it. So, by the grace of God, Aaron and Ariel stayed asleep. They didn't hear the two ambulances and the police cars show up. The police cars were wondering what would cause a 14-year-old to have a heart attack in the middle of the night. And so what were they looking for probably? Drugs. And so they're looking through uh, Gable's journal and they're searching the house and they're asking Gable and Jeff questions to try to understand why a healthy 14-year-old would be in a cardiac arrest in the middle of the night. But I got in the ambulance and I was in um, the, the front seat and here was Nathan and I was thinking, this reminds me so much of something. This reminds me when I was a little girl and I was in a car accident with my mom and I kept wondering, is she okay? And I had a bad feeling about it. And I remember asking the driver, do you think he's gonna be okay? And he said, I don't know, ma'am, I'm not back there. But I could tell from his answer, because I'm pretty good at reading people, he doesn't think he's gonna make it. We got to the hospital, and before they could get him out, I jumped out and I went into the ER. You know, mother bear takes over. And I said to the first room in there, I said, get ready, they're bringing in my son. <laughs> and um, one of the persons in there, turned and looked at me and I thought, I recognize him from church. But there's a, it was a church of over 3,000 members and we were still fairly moved, but I recognized him. And I went into, I don't know, another triage room. Eventually, Jeff and Gable joined me. They had been detained by the police and we waited. Jeff realized that the monitor behind us was monitoring Nathan's heart. And so we watched and we waited and the charge nurse for the ER that night came in and, um, and I just told her, I said, I wanna know what's going on with Nathan every 10 minutes. I can't believe I was so bossy, but I was. I was direct, I, this was my son. And I said, I wanna know what the news is, whether it's good or bad, I wanna know exactly what's going on. And she said, of course. And I think she would have told me anyway but it came from when I was a little girl, they wouldn't tell me, is my mom okay or not? And I wanted it straight. And so we waited, and they couldn't get his heart back into rhythm. And Tina and Brian paired us. Brian worked as a CFO in Orlando South, the, our biggest hospital. And I, she'd been one of the people I called. And they came, and they were with us, and they sat there. And I noticed Tina turn to Brian and say something like, you need to call the pediatric cardiologist at South. And I just noticed him saying to her, I can't do that. It's like, this is not my hospital. We were at Apopka. And we waited, and then he, she said, call the pediatric cardiologist. And he did. And it saved Nathan's life. It was one of many, many things that saved Nathan's life because they started to Zoom, FaceTime, I don't know what we were doing pre-COVID, um, with Mayo Clinic and with her 
and somebody suggested to give him a shot of magnesium and that brought his heart back into rhythm. But by that time, he had been without a regular heartbeat for over an hour. They were working on him and working on him. And later on, the respiratory therapist said to me two things. He said, you need to thank the EMTs. They were amazing. He said they were so invested in his life that they would not stop the chest compressions, even though he was now in the hands of the ER. And as they were working on him, that guy was a respiratory therapist. He said, we worked on him so long that I started to wonder, is this a good idea? Like, should we be doing this? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, because most people that have a cardiac arrest at home of ventricular fibrillation in the middle of the night, they don't make it. And if they do, then they're in a persistent vegetative state. So uh, what are we doing? But they were invested. And I remember during that time, there was, um, I don't know the name of this person still. There was like an ambulance EMT. It's like a helicopter EMT. And he came into the room in his flight uh, dress and he asked me to sign some things because they were going to airlift him to the bigger hospital. And I remember him just kind of shaking. He was so invested in my son's life and he was concerned. I remember saying to him, it's going to be okay. I remember signing it. I remember the chaplain coming. And then I remember the charge nurse saying, okay, they've got his heart into rhythm. You can go see him. I expected to go into the room. I expected Nathan's eyes to be open, but they weren't. He was in a coma, and I was rushing by him as they moved him on a gurney, and I was holding his hand, and I said, Nathan, you are in the ER. You weren't in an accident, you know, because that was my my background, I said, but you had a cardiac arrest and actually didn't even know for sure. Your heart stopped beating and you weren't breathing and they're gonna take you to the big hospital in a helicopter. We will meet you there. And then I started to say, it's gonna be okay. And then I thought, I have no idea if it's gonna be okay or not. And I'm not in the habit of giving false hope to my kids. And then I felt like Jesus said it was okay. And he said, it's gonna be okay, we'll meet you there. And they took him around to put him in. And the charge nurse and a male nurse were right by me with their arms around me as I watched as the helicopter took off and turned to go to south. Right then, the police were letting Jeff and Gable join me. And we got in our car and we headed for the big hospital in Orlando. And as we got in, we're like checking in with each other. Jeff, what do you think's going on? Is it gonna be okay? And Jeff said, I think it'll be okay, but it may take a while. And Gable said, I know it's going to be okay. And I was just praying in my mind, and I thought, I was praying to God, and I was saying, this is a lot like, and I think I might have even said it out loud, this is a lot like my mom. I, I, this reminds me of my mom's accident. I said, but, but some things are different. And right then in my mind, I got a very clear sentence, and the outcome will be different too. And I immediately thought, you just made that up. And then I thought, no, I didn't. 
because when your mom dies in a tragic accident when you're three, almost four, you are not set up emotionally to think that a crisis is going to end in anything but tragedy. And I hung on to that phrase as we drove to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, they wouldn't let us in the room because he had had a cardiac arrest again in the helicopter and they almost lost him. And when they brought him into the hospital room, they almost lost him again. He coded again. And I, as a mom, I want to be in there. But when my son is coding, I don't know how to help. So I was in the hallway because I don't want to be in the way of people who know what to do. The pediatric cardiologist um, wanted to speak to us. But before that, I remember standing in the hallway in between rooms and texting, updating my parents, updating the parents and updating my prayer group. And I remember distinctly one of my prayer warrior friends texting me and she said, there is a battle over Nathan's life. May it be as clear to the medical people and anybody who hears this story that God won this battle as when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then she sent me a psalm. And that psalm is this psalm right here. And will you go back just a second, Brigida? Do you see the cords around him? When we were there, they put him in what's called um, hypothermia. It's medically induced hypothermia. Because they found out from drowning victims that if they brought him back to temperature quickly, they would often lose them. But if we, they brought them up really slowly, then they often could save their brain and their heart. And so that's what they were doing. And it was the second time they'd ever used it. It was a new protocol and it was keeping him cold. And if you see all those cords, he had so many cords in him. I have never seen so many cords in anyone. He had an A-line, he had everything would be coming out and then splitting and then splitting again. And um, he was intubated so that he could breathe and they also put him in a medically induced coma to keep him in the coma in which he already was. So that was in my mind um, as I, thank you, as I was looking at this psalm that my friends sent. I love you, you're my rock, you're my deliverer. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I've been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. And I thought of all those cords. And I thought of all of those tubes. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. When the pediatric cardiologist I uh, talked to Gable and I, and Gable's here, and I wonder if he remembers this or not. He was like by our side the whole time. I remember her saying, okay, explain to me what happened. And I said, my son Gable sleeps in the same room as Nathan, and he heard Nathan breathing funny in the middle of the night. And she said, a teenage boy heard his teenage brother, like he woke up to hear breathing. And I said, yes, that's what happened. Gable was having a dream. 
he was having a dream that in the rug between their beds, there were these spiders. There was like a purple spider, purple and black. And he stepped on it, and then it multiplied. And he stepped on it, and they got bigger and bigger, these spiders, which felt like a supernatural dream to me. He didn't tell her that part, but we told her how it happened. And as I was telling her, I just had this feeling, I will be telling this story for the rest of my life. I wonder how it ends. And then they called us. We were able to come into the room. I don't actually know what's next. Uh-huh. So let's go back for a second. Um, and um, I just remember seeing him with all those cords and hypothermia. And I remember reaching for his hand to hold his hand. And it was ice cold. And like one of the first things you want to do as a mom is keep your baby warm, right? Warm and then make sure they have food. And I'm feeling his hands and I'm like, oh, Nathan, you're so cold. And then I thought, they say the last thing that somebody has, the last senses in a coma are ears, that the hearing is the last thing that goes. And so just in case he could hear me, I said, but that's a good thing because they have you in medically induced hypothermia and that's good for you. And then the next time I touched him, I couldn't help it. I just said, oh, Nathan, you're so cold. And then again, but that's a good thing because, and I went through it three times before I could quit saying it because he was so cold. And I remember asking a nurse, is it okay if I just keep his hands warm? Is it okay if I just keep his feet warm? And she said, yes, as long as his extremities, you know, his, well, core and his legs and his arms. And we sat and we waited to know what the outcome would be. And I remember during this time, Jeff saying, I feel like this is a rough bar mitzvah. Like God is saying to me that he's mine now. And he's also saying to me, he will be better than before. And I'm like, what does that even mean? And he said, I don't know. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. He said, did you talk to Gable? Did you hear what God told Gable? And I said, no. And um, I said, tell me. And he said, we'll wait until Gable gets back. Gable stayed in the room with us. He was at lunch. I mean, he was just with us at the hospital. We always say that we have a triumvirate. Most families, you have two parents. We had a triumvirate. There was Jeff, there was me, and there was our first, you know, I don't know what you call him. There was the trio, Gable, the eldest and uh, adult son, even when he was little. I wanted to know because... God talks to Gable sometimes, and I wanted to know, and Jeff said, wait, and so I did. And I heard this story, that when Gable was skiing um, on Sabbath morning, he spent some time with God, and he did what, um, a Bible study method that God had given him called STAR, where you read a passage and then, like, what scripture stood out to you? That's the S, what scripture? and you just put the little part that stood out to you. Then T, talk to God about it, like, why did you say this? Or why, when I read it, did I just like have tears right away? And then you listen for his answer. That's the A. Listen for his answer. And then R is reply. And you reply from your heart to God from that relational Bible study. So this is what he did on Monday. 
he, I mean on Sabbath, he turned to John 11, and I know you're not supposed to do this. Some people are a lot more systematic, and Gable has been, but at the time, he was just saying, okay, God, where do you want me to read? And God directed him to John 11. And so he read John 11, and he did star with it. And the next day, Lord, where should I read? John 11. It's like, okay, read John 11 again. The third day, God, where should I read today? And God directed him to John 11. Gable's a good reader, and he has a really good memory for what he reads. And he kind of is like, okay, I feel like I kind of I know John 11, but okay. The fourth day, he's home now. Where should I read? And God directed him to John 11. Do you know what John 11 is about? And this so reminds me of before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. John 11 is the story of Lazarus, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And you can see his S there for scripture. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He didn't do the T this time, but he just did this. Do you believe this, that that's God, what was God was saying to him? And he said, yes, Lord, I believe. And then he continued his journaling. And this is what stuck with him. Your brother will rise again. And so that's what stuck with us. And I remember saying, God went back and, and read that passage. Because later on it says, he says to the disciples um, that he's just asleep. And I'm, I'm glad for you that I didn't go back now. Because God is going to get glory from this. And I remember saying, what does that mean, God? What does it really mean? We say that. What does it mean for you to get glory? And he said to me, Alicia, I am God and I am good. And there's so many people who don't even believe I'm real. And they need to know that there's a God because they need a good God. And they need to know that he's real. That he's real and that he's good. Because so many, if they believe in him, they don't think he's good. And so that became my prayer, and it was this. Lord, get glory then. Get glory. First of all, please save Nathan's life and brain health. Help Nathan's friends who are 14, and I actually had the privilege of teaching them because I taught eighth grade Bible and spiritual growth that year. Help them to know that nothing is forever. When you're 14, you're forever. You don't think about death. Only you, God, are forever, and please get glory. Help people to know that you're real. Help them to know that you were God and you were good, and help them to know that you intervened. And I prayed that for the medical staff, and I prayed that for anyone who would ever hear this story, which is you today, that it would bring people to faith. God had me tell this story every time I taught a class every single time, so at least 30 times more than that, I have told this story. And every time I have had a student 
many say, it just raised this question in my mind. Maybe there is a God. Maybe there is a God. Maybe he is good. And so this has been my prayer. So we waited and we watched and we wondered and it was not the first day, it was not the second. I made a chart, of, I asked them, you know, when are you going to um, raise his temperature? And it was like this many degrees and this much. I made a chart about when I thought he would open his eyes again. And that came and he didn't open his eyes. And we waited and on Sabbath morning, they took him back to get a brain scan and it said that there was just like like buckshot like there was scattered anoxia to the whole brain and especially the hippocampus and the hypothalamus regions had been hit it didn't look good and i remember jeff saying remember what god said to us don't don't lose your faith i remember um even friday night my friend dolly saying i'm going to come after work eight hours from Marietta. And I had this little fear in my heart. I'm like, God, why are you sending Dolly at this point? Are you sending her to help me prepare for a funeral? And he said, that is not what I've told you. And so I thought, okay, okay, until something proves it different, we're gonna go with what we thought. Our church was praying. People were praying all over the world. They were praying in China. They were praying um, in one other country, I think it was Romania, and probably more because we knew people there. 300 people texted us Sabbath morning from our church. 300 texts that I have tried to save, and it's taken down my iPhone several times because it's a lot of texts. But they were so encouraging. I'm gonna, I want to go back a slide for just a second. I remember Friday night. Friday night, the time I was at the helicopter and Friday night, those were my most difficult times. I just didn't know what was gonna happen in the helicopter. I've never been in an ambulance helicopter and I couldn't even imagine him there. I didn't know what it looked like. And Friday night, his friends came. Friends that I had in, in Bible and spiritual growth. Friends that on Fridays I had taught to put hands on somebody who needed prayer and they brought a prayer quilt from our church and they laid hands on that and they prayed and Gable and Jeff said, you've got to go out there. You've got to go out there. There was just like the Holy Spirit was so present. And I went out and I just couldn't feel it. And I remember my friend Connie saying to them, we're praying and we believe God is going to work. It's a little less wowish than we were hoping at this point. I remember Friday night, it just was still and I was with Nathan and I was staying up and I just felt dark, a little alone, a little dark. It was never too dark. I remember the ICU nurse coming in and putting her hand on my shoulder and saying, don't give up mama, don't give up now. She saw me crying. Next day is when we got that diffused anoxia to the whole brain. Sunday morning, and sometime if you're interested, I'm leaving out things that God told me. I'm leaving out pieces that are really good, but I need to do that to, so we can finish and have lunch eventually, connect groups. 
But um, I remember being in the room, and Jeff's mom and dad were in the room. And Dolly was in my room, my friend. And uh, we were praying and watching, and Nathan was still cold. He was still in a coma. He shouldn't have been. There was no medically induced coma or drugs in his body at that time. And Jeff's dad said, I think I saw him move. I think I saw him like his eyelid flutter. And I thought to myself, yeah, I don't think so because Jeff's dad's really, like, he's very positive. He is an optimist. But I thought, well, he said something, so I'll go check. And I went over and I held his hand and I said, Nathan, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. And he squeezed my hand. And that was amazing. And he started to open his eyes. He couldn't actually, he squeezed my hand and he kept his eyes closed a long time. I think it's because, you know, when you wake up and you're really tired and the alarm's gone off, but you're just not ready to open your eyes and face the world. And you're just laying there with your eyes closed. I think that's what he was doing. And then he started to open his eyes. He's intubated, so he can't talk. And he's like um, feeling things. Like, what is this? And what is this? So I took my iPhone and I took pictures. And I said, this is because you're intubated. To help you breathe, they can take it out. Um, this is this. So I showed him everything and explained it. And right then, which this is a mercy, doctors never come when you need them. The doctor came by, saw his eyes open and said, Nathan, if you can keep your eyes open for three minutes straight, then we'll extubate you. He said, but if you can't, we won't until you can because it's pretty rough to have it intubated again. And so that's why God sent my friend Dolly because she is a physical therapist. And physical therapists are like a mix between um, a coach, a cheerleader, and a drill sergeant. And so <laughs> she was there, and she had her watch. And she would say, okay, Nathan, keep him open. 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Nope, that's not it. Let's open your eyes again. We're going to have to start over until he could keep him open for three minutes. And they extubated him. And the first thing he said was, I love you, Mom. And the second thing he said is, and I'm ready to go home now. Like, okay, can you go to the next slide? This is what we're looking at here. And he's ready to go home. We still don't know what happened. We have no idea what caused this. And I said to him, okay, Nathan, I said, we're working on it. And he gives me that real serious look and serious tone. He said, Mom, I'm serious. I'm serious, we are working on it. We will go home as soon as possible because he was missing school, right? He was gonna be an athlete and a scholar and school had started, this was not in his plan. He, um, you see Gable there, I said, honey, you have no idea how many people are praying for you. You have no idea. I said, look at the walls, they were plastered with posters and cards and I said, you need to get on Facebook and see what people are saying. So Gable helped him open it up and get on Facebook and this guy who later on could not remember his birth date remembered his Facebook password. So he gets on and um, he typed, I'm okay. And um, Gable helped him put the apostrophe in because Gable is a writer in the period at the end and they sent it off to the world. But it was hard. It was really hard.
Um, I told him four times that day what happened. He couldn't hold it. He couldn't remember it. He couldn't remember anything about, like, if this was the event about a week before or after, once it was over, almost two weeks. The OT, the PT, and the ST came in, and they had him do things that let you know, is your memory okay? So they said, can you draw a clock with the hours? So he drew a clock, and he put all 24 hours on the clock. And they were worried. And I thought, he can always go in the Army. I was not that alarmed. He can remember there are 24 hours, I'm encouraged. But then, he couldn't remember some basic things, like his birthday. So they were concerned, and they told me he'll probably have to go into an in-house rehabilitation center. And so, like, we're just glad he's alive. That night and the next night, he just went into withdrawal. And it was so hard, guys, because he would, like, try to take out things. We eventually had to tie his hands down for a little bit. He got very paranoid. It was awful. Um, and before it just went really down, I remember for the first time I was leaving the room and going to get um, lunch, Jeff and I left the room and Gable was with him. And when Jeff and I returned, you know, the nurses had been doing things and paranoia was setting in. And he looked at Jeff and I and said, well, then he looked away and he looked at Gable and he said, Gable's on my team. And then he looked at Jeff and I like, are you? Because you're helping the nurses. Now, he didn't say that, but he was just very suspicious of us. And so I think he was kind of going through, he's very suspicious of the nurses. He likes movie. I think he was kind of in a spy movie, James Bond. They were after him. And then I think it changed to a romance because we had a beautiful nurse. And he reached up his hand and he just pulled that nurse down into bed with him. <laughs> and he, she was like, oh, oh, she didn't get all the way down. But his paranoia kept getting worse. And there was a balloon that was about the height of Ariel. And he would look at that balloon. It was just he and I. It was getting evening. And he would say, is Ariel here? No. Is Ariel here? Five minutes later, I thought, okay, it's the balloon. I put it in. And he kept looking at the tall balloon like, I don't know who that is. Put those away. It was really hard because he started really hallucinating. And it was so hard. And I just said to him, Nathan, you're having nightmares. And you're having bad dreams. But mom's awake. Can you trust mom to tell you what's real? And he thought about it. And then he said, yes. And so we were able to keep him, you know, let, he didn't have to keep him from taking out his tubes and his, what is this called, his IV anymore. But it was hard. It was hard. And um, he was determined, though. He was so determined. And there were so many small ways as well as big ways that God showed up for us. And one of them is he had a beautiful nurse, as I said, really beautiful nurses. And one of them, I have to tell you this, she said, I know who you are. I belong to your church, and I am praying for you. And she told us her name. Do you know what her name was? Is Martha. Her name was Martha. So we were um, waiting for somebody to bring a potty chair, a bedside commode. 
because nobody had helped Nathan go to the bathroom since he was three. Or, you know, he was really embarrassed when the nurses would say, do you need to go to the bathroom? In fact, the first time someone asked him, do you need to go to the bathroom? He said, that's classified. <laughs> So I said, can we get like a bedside commode? And they said, yes, but the problem is you can never get one when you want one. And the PT has to check him out to see if he's able to get up and move to it. And so I can tell you this was a, a grace of God. The next time he needed to go to the restroom, they found a potty and the PT came right then and was able to see that he could do that on his own. That is another grace. That is another way that God said, I am with you. And so he started to work his plan, which was, I'm ready to go home now. The first time they had him walking, he couldn't raise his head, and he was dragging his left foot. The next time, he would raise his head a little bit more. And finally, the time came when... He, well, this is right before, he was in the room. His brain was just agitated from not having enough oxygen. And he was trying to set up some Christian songs that he could listen to because music calms the brain. And he couldn't get it to work. He couldn't get it to work. It was before Spotify. Can't remember. It was something where you lined him up. Couldn't get it to work. And I just was praying, Jesus He's so agitated. Please help it to work so we can have some music to calm his brain down. Wouldn't work, wouldn't work. And then this woman came in, a little Filipino woman, petite, with a guitar. And she came and she sat down. And she started to sing with this golden stream of a voice, a song I'd never heard before, called Healer. I believe you're my healer. Do you know this song? I believe you are all I need. That is a song that ministered to our hearts. And I took my iPhone and I just went around like this while she was singing at Nathan and me and at her. And I've never been able to get this video to work. That's what's right there. And then we both fell asleep. I didn't know there was such a thing as a musical therapist. But she was in our room, and it was just when we needed another grace of God. So this is Martha, and so excited because he could get the feeding tube out. He showed he could swallow. Like we're just celebrating small steps. And on the Friday night, a week from the one that I felt so low, Nathan walked into the lobby where his friends were waiting. We had a beautiful praise service. They prayed over him. And if they hadn't made him use the walker, then um, you wouldn't be able to tell who was dead a couple weeks before, even just a week and a half, because that's what they call it, sudden death syndrome. You wouldn't have even been able to tell. It was such a beautiful time of um, praise and singing here is he graduating from pediatric intensive care unit to the regular peds floor. And um, two weeks later, he walked out on his own two feet carrying some of the gift bags. I had said to the doctor before we had gotten discharged, when do we go 
to the in-house rehabilitation, the in-house rehabilitation center. I haven't gotten any information on that. When when do we go? And he said, Alicia, this is how they send them home. He doesn't need to go. And so two weeks later, we walked out praising God, home again, um, all sorts of stories there. There are Jeff's parents and the other kids. And um, I remember the day that we walked out saying to God, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And it was actually a couple of days before. And he said to me, what would you have been doing the day before this happened if you had known it was going to happen? And I said, I would have been fasting and praying. And he said, that's what you were doing because that's the day that my prayer group had fasted and prayed for their children for six years. And it just made me so happy to know that. And here we were, home again, two weeks later, on my fasting and prayer day, I did not fast. We feasted and we praised to have Nathan home again. So not long after that, we went to Tampa to the Children's Hospital to have an ICD put in. First, the electrophysiologist tested his heart, and it would immediately go into ventricular fibrillation again. And so they decided he needs an implantable cardioverter defibrillator so that if his heart ever goes into this rhythm again, it'll shock it and bring it back in. And he wouldn't let him, this is uh, his doctor, would not let him leave because he said, I had twins, and I let them leave. One of them had had this issue, and she had one of those ventricular fibrillation episodes, and she was disabled the rest of her life. I will never let somebody go again. So we waited until he could do it. They put him in. They thought maybe it was Brugada syndrome, which was a sudden death syndrome, but it wasn't. They still don't know what it is. It's a mystery. It's Nathan's special disease. But he got in his internal cardiac defibrillator, and afterwards, here he is back at church. We went on Hope TV's Let's Pray. I want to tell you, when we were back at church, Jeff said as he's sitting in the front row, Nathan is not a Christian rock star. Nathan is a sign of God's goodness, and he points to that when you see him, remember. So here he is back on his skateboard and still swag. That's not a word they use anymore, that, but that meant like looking good, GQ, dressing well. He, he always has his own style. I'll tell you what he can't do anymore and he wasn't able to after he had um, another ca a cardiac arrest a year later. He couldn't play team sports. And that's what he loved. That's what he wanted to do. Especially after in college, he developed pulmonary emboli, clots, because his ICD and how it was fitting into his vein was throwing clots. So he had to be on a blood thinner. So no more sports, contact sports, team sports ever. But he was alive and Took him about a year for his brain to get up to the speed that it used to be. But when they took him to the neuropsychologist to have him tested, 
they said he did great. In fact, nobody had ever done as well on one of the tests with numbers as he did. And Jeff and I thought back to what God had said, that he would be even better than before. Nathaniel means gift of God, and we say he's been regifted because we would have lost him if it weren't for the goodness of God, all of the prayers, and the excellence of the medical team. I'm going to go one more. So this is Nathan and Karen now. They didn't know if he would have personality. They didn't know if he would have brain health at all. We didn't know if he would survive. But he got married. That's Karen, his beautiful wife. And that's Florence, who's three years old. That's her first like school picture. And little Marvel. They are so delightful. And I think sometimes, if it weren't for the grace of God, there'd have been no Karen in our lives. There would have been no Marvel. There would have been no Florence at all. So we're living a miracle. And it reminds me very much of the transcendence and the eminence of God. The transcendence is his creator, king of the universe, power, his miraculous creative power. He's the king of the universe. He keeps the stars in place, but he is eminent. He is Jesus, closer than a brother. And he was all of those things to us. He was miraculously healing, and he was close enough to make a difference. He was in the details. He prepared us. I remember Friday night, one of those friends' mom saying to me, do you remember what you spoke on last week? And I said, yes, I do. Waiting in hope when you don't know what the outcome will be. He was good. He was gracious. He was in the details. And something I haven't told you that we said to each other in the car as we raced after the helicopter was this. We said, even if he doesn't, we will be faithful to God no matter what. Because if Nathan lives, look how much we'll have to praise him for. And if Nathan doesn't live, look how much we'll need God. Even if he doesn't, which does happen. We're so grateful for God's word that held us, for prayer, for the community of faith, for the excellent medical community that we were placed in, for Nathan's health, his brain health, for his life. But after a miracle, life goes on. And there are other challenges. The reason I wasn't here last weekend is because his ICD started to make weird noises. So they needed to replace it. And when they went in, they couldn't get the lead back in his subclavian vein or in another vein because his, his veins don't like foreign objects in them and they throw clots. There was scar tissue. couldn't get it in. They had to put the ICD over here. So once again, he woke up with two places, two incisions, and they were able only to get a lead into his ventricular chamber, his ventricle, which is the most important one for him, but they like to have one in both. While they were doing this one, trying to get it in, they poked his lung, and he had a pneumothorax and his lung half collapsed. So we still continue to need him. Things still happen. Um, it's back. He's good. 
But I want to tell you that we look back on this story when we need to remember that God is transcendent and imminent, and he's with us no matter what. So here's the reality, right? We are all either in a hard time right now or about to go in to a hard time. That's just life. You are either in one or about to go in one. Maybe you'll get a little rest. And that's the reality of living here. And the other reality that I'm so aware of every time I tell this story is we don't always get the miracle. And some of you are sitting out there and saying, we prayed hard. Why didn't we get the miracle? We had faith. And I don't know the answer to that. My mother was killed in a car accident. We prayed that morning for safe travels. God loved her. And God loved Lazarus, and he let him die. He did bring him back to life. Everybody that you know that lived before, you know, in the 1900s, they're dead now. Not all 1900s, like 1918, 1920. I don't know anyone from 1920 that's still alive. Most of the people who have ever lived are dead. At some point, if, if time lives long enough, it will be us here, it will be Nathan. Lazarus at some point thought, this feels familiar and died. <laughs> That's how it is, this side of heaven. And yet, when we, when we look at our stories, our legacies of faith, which I believe you all have them, then they remind us that God is good in the times that we don't get the answer that we're hoping for. I was reading in Acts, I am reading in Acts, in Acts 5 this week, and I read this. This is um, after Jesus has gone back to heaven, after Pentecost, after Peter preached and 3,000 came, and um, this is when the Sanhedrin and, well, the, the high priest and the scribes, everybody's coming down on the disciples for doing all these miracles, and, um, but the people together, when they were released, said this. They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And this is kind of going on now. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And then they say, yeah, this happened. Herod and Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They conspired against Jesus. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. But now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Nathan is a sign of God's goodness. We overcome by our testimonies and the blood of the Lamb. Remembering our testimonies and sharing them helps us to speak boldly. So I wonder, where are you? What season are you in? What is the Lord saying to you through this story? 
What do you need to hear? There's an old song, roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Remind me where you brought me from and where I could have been. But remember, I'm human, and humans forget. So remind me. Remind me, dear Lord. We forget. And so we need to tell the stories of God's goodness and his grace. Is that the last one I have? Okay. So this is the last thing I want to say to you. Why do we have these stories? Well, they remind us when we're going through one where things don't work out, that God is still with us and he's still good. And they give us boldness to preach the word of God as we should. And in a world that's very hostile to religion right now, I should say very hostile to Christianity, to be able to talk to the precious people in this world and not have too much fear to tell a story of God's goodness, to maybe give them an opportunity to consider maybe there is a God and maybe he is good. As the band comes back up, I'm so excited to hear from all of these uh, musicians this morning. I just want to invite you to consider, do you still believe he's real? Do you still believe he's good? Do you still believe that he acts on behalf of his people? Do you still believe in signs and wonders? And I want to challenge you to, to remember a story of God's goodness, part of your family's legacy of faith, your personal legacy of faith, and to tell it to somebody, to share it with somebody who may need encouragement. Nathan, I'm just going to talk until they start. Nathan's brain is pretty good because he's a data analyst with, um, in Maitland with Advent Health. I don't even understand what he does. I have him show me on the computer. God gifted us again with Nathan. And I hope he gifts you again, maybe with renewed hope, maybe with deeper faith maybe with greater boldness to trust that God is real and he's good and he's still transcendent and he's still imminent and he still answers prayers. So that's my story. And I'm glad you listened. I hope it encouraged you today.